There are many causes I would die for. There is not a single cause I would kill for. Mahatma Gandhi God blesses those who work for peace. Jesus We must redefine nonviolence so that it is an invitation to be creative. Nicole Joshua You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus. The church is an alternative community that embodies kingdom values. It is not a chaplain to the state blessing the current order, not merely an association of people interested in spiritual things, but a community that embodies an alternative economics and politics. Jamie Ross and Andre Gingrich Stoner. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus. At the center of nonviolence stands the principle of love. Martin Luther King Jr. Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Jesus. I would not look upon anger as something foreign to me that I have to fight. I have to deal with my anger with care, with love, with tenderness, with nonviolence. Tick, not Han. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Jesus. Peace, do not be afraid. Peace be with you, do not be afraid. A few years ago, I was invited by a buddy of mine to this divisional football game, uh, right around this time, actually, in the fall season. And if you've ever been to a, like a professional football game, especially like a divisional rivalry, you know like what's at stake and the sort of fever pitch that uh, you know imbues itself on the game itself. And so got our tickets, we went through uh, Will Call, then up to the kind of second level concourse. And as we were getting like up to the entrance to our seats, there was this like big, big security guard bouncer dude who like looked like he'd eaten other security guards and bouncer dudes on the way to his post. That's my first joke of the sermon. Um, so he's like, gentlemen, let me see your tickets. We show them the tickets. And I'm like, please, sir, don't eat me. Show them the tickets. And he's like, you're just right down there. We go and have our seat and we like settle in for the game. And then as we're getting seated, you know, people are starting to file in. The first quarter's about to start. And there's just like, it's packed. It's sold out. And then these two dudes come and sit right in front of us. And they are wearing opposing jerseys. And so sure enough, oh, and also they uh, had already armed themselves with a few like pregame beverages. Yeah. So they're standing there and they're like, you know, the, the first quarter kind of goes and it's a close game and we're watching them and the game and them and the game. And then sure enough, 
these dudes start to chirp and chirp and chirp at each other. And eventually by the second quarter, like after a few more beverages, they've put the cans down and you can see that they're like fists are cocked and they're standing away from the game, staring at each other and just getting louder and louder and louder. And then by the grace of God, over the corner of my left shoulder, I see this security guard. Remember, the security guard that has probably eaten other security guards, the security guard that probably should be playing football, although he's probably too threatening to be on the team, come like down the stairs and I turn to my buddy that I'm with and I say, it is about to go down. It is about to go down. Luke 22. (laughs) Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered, nothing. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one for it is just written. And he was numbered with the strangers and transgressors and rebels. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled. This scripture that I've just told you must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment in your hearing. And the disciples said, see, Lord, we've got swords. That's enough. He replied. Jesus then went out as usual to the Mount of Olives to where he would pray and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And so he withdrew about a stone's throw a little ways away from them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven, my goodness, appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked, get up, pray that you will not fall into temptation. While he's still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike now? Should we fight back with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. This is enough. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Brothers and sisters, woo! Welcome to part two of our series, Recentering, where we're, you know, looking back um, on our Anabaptist history, our, our essentials as a movement of people who are centered on Jesus, who, who are centered on Jesus and his methodology, his ethic, his practice, and his teaching about peace and nonviolence, and then centered on Jesus and his teaching, his ethic on peace and nonviolence as it leads us towards radical compassion and generosity. And through the, those are the three topics for this series, Jesus at the center. We put Jesus at the center of our lives and how we interpret the Bible and how we use our money and how we use our time and our talents. We put Jesus at the center and how we understand how we deal with peace as opposed to conflict and violence. And we put Jesus at the center when it comes to how we orient our giving, our time, our energy, how we serve. Now, I'll make mention right away, and this is my second joke of the sermon, uh, this sermon is going to be woefully inadequate for the amount of information and amazing resources that are out there when it comes to peace and nonviolence. And so you'll be talking about that uh, in home church a bit. And also, this is only going to be a 20-minute sermon. And everybody said, amen, thanks. Yeah, it's hurtful. Um, 
in order to give like lots of local time and practical applications. So across all of our sites, in all of our regions, we're giving like that last 10 minutes to, to answer the question, so what for us? And so here in Oakville, you'll be um, you know, walking that out, talking about that here and in home church and across all of our regions, all of our sites, you'll be doing the same. And so this is designed to be inadequate so that we can go home with hopefully a couple principles that are helpful, but then also so that we can go home and with that like pebble in our shoe of like, huh, what is Jesus saying to us as a church, certainly as a community called out together, but then what is Jesus saying to me as an individual? Now, Luke 22 is a fascinating section uh, of scripture. We've just read through a good chunk of it. Jesus has been preparing his followers for the suffering that is to come. Jesus is preparing his followers for the suffering that is to come. Now, uh, just before this section of scripture, he's taught, he, he's um, shared, shared the last meal with them. He's celebrated Passover with them. He's given them st- instruction on how to set up through peace, uh, th- this last meal that they're sh- they'll share together. And then in that last meal, he, he um, explains that he will be betrayed. That, that, you know, there's no loyalty in these streets, that he will have somebody from his inner circle uh, say, like, this is not enough for me. Uh, and then immediately the disciples start like being like, oh, not me, not me, definitely not me, definitely not me. And even one of the disciples, Peter says, Jesus, like legit, I will go to the grave for you. I will fight for you. I will be in prison for you. I will go to my death to uphold what you have taught here. And Jesus corrects him and says, brother, like in the next 24 hours, you will swing so far to the other side of the pendulum towards passivity that it'll be, you'll almost feel like you are unrecognizable. And then immediately in this context of a shared meal where they have like lived and breathed and walked with Jesus, learning his peace teaching, his enemy love, his other centeredness way of being, right after Jesus has said, one of you will betray me and all of you will come into suffering and I'll be killed for this. They immediately start arguing about who is the bestest in the group. Who is the best player? Like who is going to be in the place of authority? fascinating stuff. People who have traveled with Jesus for such a long time still, still getting it wrong. And then as the text uh, lays out, we read that, um, it's, did, you, did you notice what Jesus says? So he, he refers to the scripture in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, which is like the suffering servant, he'll be marked among rebels and transgressors. He'll be marked uh, among the, the, the marginalized, the lowest of the low. He'll be called like a rebel, like these other people are. And in that, like rebels, what do rebels do? Well, they gather swords, they gather weapons, they rebel against the powers that be. Vengeance versus vengeance, violence versus violence, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus is referring to this and says, like, did you lack anything when I sent you out? And they're like, no, nothing. And he's like, okay, well, now is the time where you're really going to be sent out, where the shepherd will be removed and the sheep will scatter. And then did you notice what he tells them, it seems, to go and do? He says, go and sell your, your cloak or your tunic, your outer garments, and then buy what? Swords, fascinating. This is peace-loving Jesus, meek and mild, telling his disciples it seems to go and buy swords. Now at a cursory reading, and certainly our just war brothers and sisters would say, see, this disproves passivism. You can't live in peace all the time. There sometimes comes a moment where you have to enact violence. And this is a lie, brothers and sisters. It's predicated on a misreading of the text. Jesus is referring back to a text, the, the Isaiah 53 text and saying, like, you, you need nothing. It, just like, you know, uh, 
in previous iterations of rebellion against religion or rebellion against politics, you would, you would go and buy swords. And even if that was a command, the disciples don't go and do it. They say, well, we have two, uh, we got two, we got two swords. Is that enough? And Jesus is like, that's enough. That's enough. It's not, yeah, that's enough. It's that's enough. This ends here today. Fascinating, the brilliance of Jesus in his context at the height of the most like inhumane trial, uh, jury process and death of like the, the divine made flesh is executed by his own unfairly. Jesus still tells his people, his closest followers to what? Lay down your weapons. Jesus, we've got two swords. That's enough. Have you not listened? Have you not listened? And then what happens? This crowd comes, this extension of like the the judge and the jury of Judaism at the time, they come under the cover of what? Darkness. They don't come during the day, which was a normal practice in first century Judaism at the time. If you had something against a brother or sister that required like religious law to step in, you went during the day with lots of witnesses. You did not come to like a kind of a left field religious rabbi rebel in the cover of darkness when everybody is sleeping, armed with clubs and swords. And yet this is exactly what happens, the most inhumane moment in human history where the Prince of Peace is surrounded by clubs and swords, by people who are ready to kill if it gets out of hand. And then what do we read that the disciples do? They say, we remember what you said. We brought our two swords. Should we fight now? And then what does one of them do? Matthew's gospel records that like it's, it's most likely Peter. All of the gospels record uh, this example of like this rebellion where Jesus like imbues peace and not violence. And then one of these disciples lashes out and cuts off not a religious person's uh, ear, but the slave of the religious leader. Cuts off his ear. And what does Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. No, no. He says, no more of this. Going back to the text that he referred them to, to before, when, it's, when is it time to, to take up swords, Jesus? Never. Always be willing to die for your faith. Never be willing to kill. And then what did Jesus say to the poor gentleman who's had his ear lopped off? His glasses don't fit anymore. Does, does he say, well, you know what the law of Moses says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, fight fire with fire. No, Jesus picks up the ear, which is pretty gross, we think, and then heals him. He heals him. These people that have come with violence in their hands, violence in their hearts, violence on their lips, ready to attack this peace-loving, peace-centered, enemy-loving, forgiveness-oriented rabbi. Jesus heals one of their people and says, no more, no more, enough of this. There is never a time to kill. Jesus in the height of conflict when his enemies and friends are clenching their fists, have looked away from the game that's on the field, are, are looking at each other with clenched fists, picking up swords. Jesus says, enough, no more. Those who try to live this way, die this way. I wonder if this is a message for us today. Those who try to live this way, die this way. In this section, we're seeing the broad swath of the prevalence of human violence, as well as passivity and avoidance. 
as well as passivity and avoidance. Now, if you go a little uh, further, and just for the sake of time, we, we won't go there today, but I'll, I'll talk about it really quickly. Remember what Peter said? He's, he's at the last supper, he's at the table with Jesus. And Jesus is like, even you, like pray against temptation, pray that you will have strength, pray for your brothers and sisters because you'll lead them. Jesus, the, uh, Peter, the, the like key holder for the church, the ecclesia, what, what this, this communal body will look like in the future says, I will go to the death for you. I'll go to prison for you, Jesus. And Jesus says like, in less than 24 hours, you are gonna swing to the other side towards just passivity, self-preservation and avoidance. And then Jesus is led into this like makeshift courtroom. We're not really sure well, but into uh, like a religious person's home, like kind of a makeshift court. Uh, and then Peter is around a fire in the courtyard. And the first person to confront him is a young girl. And she says like, you're a Galilean. I can tell, weren't you with him? Now the Galileans were like a rural group of people. So basically like what he's wearing is giving him away, like probably wearing like a Bass Pro Shop hat or something like that. He's seated around the fire and he's recognized. And then what does Peter say? Yes, it's me, there's a better way. He says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Warms himself by the fire. And then a second time it happens, somebody recognized him. No, I can tell by the hat. You are one of his followers, aren't you? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then a third time, a third time within 24 hours after just meeting with his master and saying, I will go to the death for you. I'll go to the death for you. A third time, you're one of his disciples. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you're acquainted with this man. And he says, man, I swear to you, I do not know the man. Brothers and sisters, the opposite of violence is not peace. The opposite of violence is passivity. Violence does something. It takes up sword. It takes up weapon. It aggresses against another person and says, you are less than me. You are less than my cause. And so I will take up violence against you. Passivity says, I don't want any part of it. Passivity sits up in the stands watching the game with not a sniff of a clue of what to do or no energy to, to bring anything into the situation other than self-preservation. And this is not the way of Jesus. I wonder if this is a message for us today. We see in this section the, the brutality of vengeance and avoidance. We see in this section the brutality of religion that has run amok, a religion of peace that says that sometimes it's okay to kill. Sometimes it's okay to have a gun, a sword, a club. Sometimes it's okay to undignify the person sitting in front of you in order for the cause to be made real. And it is not the way of Jesus. Enter the way of Jesus, though, with a third way, which is pacifism, stepping in in a third way, bringing, ushering in peace and reconciliation as opposed to avoidance. Now, this is fascinating. Um, how many of you have heard of the word like pacifism before? A few of us. How many of you like this is the first time for you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've taught a couple times uh, in a couple different church contexts, not here, but in other churches. And they're like, yeah, pacifism, P-A-S-S, -S, pass. You pass it by, right? Turn the other cheek. Somebody comes and punches you in the face. You're like, oh, I guess I deserve it. Just hit me again. This is the furthest thing from what Jesus taught. Passivity, P-A-S-S, -S, says exactly that. It says, well, I just, ooh, I, do, I do not like conflict. All of our Enneagram nines are like nodding their heads in agreement. I do not want conflict. Whereas pacifism, P-A-C, being a pacifist, steps into the conflict and says, what are we doing here? Is this really the way that we want to live? Is this really the best way to embody the teaching, the person, the ethic of Jesus? Is there a better way versus fight and might or do nothing and avoid and turtle? 
Passivism brings peace into the scenario. It's like, you know, when a baby's crying, you give them a, it rhymes with schmassifier, <laughs> pacifier, into the mouth. Passivity, if you're a parent with a child, and you're like, my baby's crying, they're in pain, I guess I'll leave them for three to four days and hopefully they get over it. No, no, pacifism brings, walks in peace through creative means. It, it dignifies the, the human experiences as we're both the same people here. Is there really a cause that, that would ever encourage us or embolden us to take another person's life? And if the answer is yes, brother or sister, we need to step back and get some perspective. Passivism steps in with the creative third way, the methodology of Jesus that says we are both created by God, divinely loved, we bear the divine image, and we should be serving each other instead of fighting each other. Passivism does not avoid. Passivism does not avoid. Passivism in, in, in the face of violence or conflict does not say, ooh, I hope this, like, this too shall pass. Hopefully Jesus will calm the waves. No, passivism steps in and says, Jesus is here and correcting our behavior. We need to see each other as equals and work towards reconciliation together. This is the call of the church. This is the call of our church to be agents of reconciliation and peace in the world that is at odds with each other. Passivity is not the way of Christ, of just avoiding, hoping for safe pack, uh, passage and self-preservation. Jesus calls us into a better way, a better way. Now, this is a radical reformation. It's a radical reforming of our own theology. And even in our history, our Anabaptist history, it's a radical reforming of the theology of like just a few hundred, uh, well, a little bit more than that, uh, uh, a while ago. <laughs> where the Reformation happened and said, it's not enough that the church, the, the, the holy church holds all of the keys to the kingdom, put it in the hands of the people. Like people should have their own Bibles. People should be able to interpret and read for themselves what the teaching of Jesus is. And if they don't get it, let's kill them. And the radical reformer said, you haven't gone far enough. Put Jesus right in the center. We are not people of the book. We are people of the person. We believe in the word of God and his name is Jesus, orient us, orienting us towards love and faith and, and peace and generosity and compassion and, con, and kindness and other-centeredness and forgiveness, even to the point of losing our lives. It is never okay to kill for your faith. It is always okay to die for it. This is what the radical reformers, the, the like OG Anabaptists believed. Anabaptist means rebaptizer. That being a person of faith should never be based on religious coercion, but should be an individual's decision, a person's individual decision to live this way and to follow Jesus in this way. Ron Sider has a brilliant, brilliant quote um, in his work, Nonviolent Action. If you don't have it or you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. You'll be talking about it in home church this week as well. In his work, Nonviolent Action writes this, the early Anabaptists believe that their radical reformation must purify and qualify both Christian theology, how we think about God, and Christian living, what we do with what we think about God, especially their political and social relationships. 
especially their political and social relationships. Therefore, the church should not be supported nor entangled by the state or the province, neither by tithes nor taxes, nor by use of the sword. And Christianity should be a matter of individual conviction, not coercion, never coercion, that cannot and should not be forced on anyone. Rather, following Jesus requires a personal decision and a conviction to live it out. And that when violence enters the Christian, violence enters the church. That when violence enters the Christian, violence enters the church. And so what is, what does it mean to be a peace church with Jesus at the center? Jesus at the center. What does it mean to be a peace church? Now, like I said, this is, I mean, the sermon is designed to be inadequate, but we've been working as a senior leadership team uh, around like what would be helpful in training and reframing how we understand this and embody this as a church. So Quincy, why don't you give us a little bit of a snapshot of some of the things we're working on? I'm, I'm soaking in, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to what you said, this idea of us moving in towards conflict. Yeah. And as one of our distinctives as an Anabaptist church, it seems as though we should be well acquainted with violence and with conflict as opposed to the other way around, which is, which is actually daunting. It is a little scary. Yep. Um, because a number of us, I don't think, are, are fully equipped to be able to handle that. So our hope is, uh, starting this fall, uh, myself along with um, our dear brother Samuel, who's part of our, who's our discipleship pastor, and has a PhD in conflict resolution, oh, so they helps, may have something, guess, to, uh, helps, something to offer. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But, <laughs> we'll uh, see. <laughs> but no. Uh, Fingers he, crossed. Brilliant and, uh, and has a great, uh, uh, great content and great teaching and training for all of us to be able to go through. So our plan is for this coming fall, uh, as a community, we'll start off by region. So the plan is for fall, uh, Oakville, Milton, Mississauga, Hamilton, Burlington, Brampton will have an option to come in and be a part of a peace and reconciliation workshop where we, we begin to, to give people a common language on what conflict is. We can't escape it. If COVID has taught us uh, anything, it's that all of the divisions and all of the conflict is just now amplified, yep. right? The polarization in our communities is just through the roof. So now I think is an opportunity more than ever for us as a, as a peace church to be able to engage in these ways. So there'll be registration that'll be coming, uh, coming shortly, and that'll be for, for this community in uh, Oakville, Burlington, Brampton, Milton, Mississauga, and Hamilton, Hamilton. region too. Ooh, We're gonna do it together. Shout out Hamilton. Right? Right? Shout out Hamilton. Boom. All right, good. good. Looking forward to it. It's good. So peace as a church, one of the ways that we can step into this. And we're looking forward to more creative discussion as like this continues to evolve. And then peace as an individual, because if it doesn't make it in our hearts, if peace doesn't make it into our hearts, how can it make its way into the, the, the body of Christ, the collection of us, the community of us as a whole? Now, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, right? Yes? Matthew 5. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them to the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them over your coat as well. If somebody gives you their pack to carry uh, the mile, go the extra mile. Never before has this been so decontextualized in our context. 
Now, the last two, the whole cloak, um, you know, and, and pack are, are not as translatable, right? So typically most of us in first century Judaism, you, you wore two, two garments. So you had your like outer tunic and your inner cloak, and that was it. So most of us came wearing normal things like jeans and shirts and stuff. And so this doesn't really translate. And most of us on our way here weren't stopped by a police officer, a person in the military and said, hey, get out of your car. Can you carry my pack? The rest of the way to Oakville, I'll meet you there. Uh, it really doesn't translate to us. But Jesus is saying something uh, quite unique and so intentional in the context. And I think the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, if somebody uh, hits you on the cheek, um, I think this has so much to do with us today. Now, how many of you have heard that section before? If somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. It just means like, let yourself get hit again. How many of you have kind of interpreted that or you've heard that? Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of hands going up. This is not true. This is not what Jesus is teaching. So Jesus in a slave economy, in an economy where there are higher ups and definitely lower ups, and certainly in our economy today where there's such a, a widening gap between the rich and the poor, the powerful and the weak, Jesus is saying like, if a master, if a person with authority stands up, stands up to you and hits you, backhands you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. The first slap is an indication of slavery. I own you, do what I say. Jesus is not saying, well, just take it. Jesus is saying, no, stand there and turn to them the other cheek. The first uh, slap is slavery. The second slap is justice, is standing in the way of injustice, saying, if you're gonna hit me again, you're gonna have to punch me. And if you're gonna punch me, you're gonna have to put me down because I'm not okay with your behavior. Do you notice that Jesus does not say, and then once he punches you, man, hit back. You've been training MMA for so long, get him, guys. No, no, Jesus is saying, stand up to injustice. Be a creative peacemaker in your context. Never, never give permission for violence and injustice. Stand in the way of violence and injustice, knowing that Jesus um, inspires us with, with, by the Spirit, creativity to, 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 to be humble, to, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to continue to walk with God. So turning the other cheek is equality versus ownership. If you remember nothing else from the sermon, equality versus ownership. It's turning your face towards your oppressor and saying, do you really want to do this? Can we in some way, shape or form see each other as equals? Is this really the way that you want to live? Is this really the way that we want to live with each other? Or is there a better way? Instead of a punch to the face, is there a hand on the chest that says, stop, this is not how you were designed to live. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of peace. Is it standing between two brothers or sisters or people in our community or in our workplace or in our home saying, whoa, 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 the fighting ends. That's enough. Put down your swords. How can we meet eye contact? How can we care for, love each other, serve each other over a long journey sometimes, for sure, over a long journey of confession, repentance, lament, correction, but can we see each other as equals, infinitely loved by the divine, infinitely loved by God, and infinitely passionate about being agents of reconciliation? So there I was in that row, and this bouncer was coming down the aisle towards us. And I turned towards my buddy, and I said, it is about to go down. And he came through their aisle so fast. I have never seen a building run so fast 
in an aisle. And I said to my buddy, it's going to be fists. Like these guys are already to throw. And if anybody can throw well, it's, it's going to be the big bouncer guy, not these two middle-aged men who have had a few too many wobbly pops. Now he stepped in between them. He put his hand on both their chests and said, gentlemen, do we want to fight or do we want to, want to watch a football game? Gentlemen, do we want to fight or do we want to watch a football game? Do we want to fight, which is not what we're here for, or do we want to settle down, be oriented towards peace, and do what we, were, what we came here to do? A person with all the power and all the means to fight, to eye for eye, tooth for tooth, to subdue the situation through violent coercion, chose to put his hand on two drunk dudes' chests and say, can we stop? Can we just be here for what we're here for? Do you want to fight or do you want to watch the football game? Brothers and sisters, that's our call as a church. Do we want to be a church that that gets in bed but with politics, that uses coercive power and violence to get our way? Or do we want to be a church that stands in the gap of the world that is at odds with each other and says, do we want to do what we are here to do? Do we want to do what we are built to do, which is to, to embody love and peace and joy and faith and generosity in this world? Are we willing to do the work to step into conflict in our world, to put our hands on the chests of our enemy and say, God loves you and I do too. Let's work this out. This is our call as a church. It's what it means to be pacifist. It's what it means to follow Jesus in the way of peace, to step in with creativity and to be an agent of reconciliation in the world, to embody peace in a world that needs it. No longer can we be passive. The world needs us to be passionately stepping in to placating, bringing peace into a violent and conflict-oriented world. And this is the call of Jesus to us today. Brothers and sisters, may we be a family, a group of people that steps into conflict, whether ours or somebody else's, and says, how do we get through this to be reconciled to each other and reconciled to God, loving God and loving each other? Will we do it? Will we do it? Yes. May the grace of God, may the peace of Christ, may the fellowship of the Spirit continue to unify us as the body of Christ as we continue to be agents of reconciliation in the world. And may the peace of Christ go with us and live in us today. In Jesus' name, and together we all said, amen. Amen. Amen.